Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. Hope you all are doing well. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church. I'm so glad that you're joining us this morning. It's a great morning for us as a church, a significant morning, because we're kicking off our Saturate Fast, our 21-day fast, where we're fasting from something and for something, that God would saturate us personally with the gospel, and then locally and globally with the gospel. So just really excited about that. I want to remind you guys to grab your Saturate prayer guide from the connections table out in the lobby before you leave today, if you don't have one yet, so you can follow along with that. It's going to be really, really awesome. I'm just so uh, anticipating what God's going to do in our lives over these 21 days. So, but anyways, today we are going to uh, pick up in the series that we've been in, in the book of Habakkuk. We've been calling it Contentment and Troubling Times. And so far in this uh, series, what we've been talking about is that there is a type of contentment that is not completely dependent or really isn't even at all dependent on our circumstances. To where there, it, the, the statement of this series is actually uh, can be true for you, that there can be contentment even in troubling times. And uh, I know that for many of us, that's a brand new category a different way of thinking, like when we just think about contentment, it's just so circumstantial. But let me remind you the definition of contentment that we've been using throughout this series, and that is that contentment is an internal sense of well-being, not based on circumstances, but based on confidence in God's loving leadership of my life. Let's say it again. Contentment is an internal sense of well-being, like all is well with your soul, and it's not based on circumstances, but it's based on confidence and God's loving leadership of your life. And so, again, this is kind of a new category for, for many of us. Like, can, we really be con- can we really be content despite our circumstances? And so we've been looking at this book of Habakkuk and saying, like, this is his story. And along with that, during this series, we've also had a number of people get up here and share their personal story of how that's been true for them. And this morning, I want to uh, get a, another incredible woman in our church in front of you to share her story, but we've done, we've done this on video today. And so I want you to get to hear Laura Rodriguez's story as she explains how, how through God's grace, that she's found that she can be content even in the most severe troubling times. Y'all get a chance just to watch this. Walking out of that hospital Christmas morning, going from wife to widow at 27 years old, I just started asking God, how is this happening? How could this happen? How could you let this happen? My name is Laura Rodriguez and I'm a partner here with Midtown. Um, Jake has asked me to share a little bit about my story and how um, I've experienced God's grace and how he has transformed my life. A little history is I am a native Austinite. Uh, I grew up in Northwest Austin and went on to Texas Tech for college. Uh, While I was at Tech, I met an amazing godly man named Chris. Uh, We were married in October of 2011. Not long after Chris and I were married, he started experiencing health problems. Um, He eventually went into heart failure and was placed on the national organ donors list for a new heart. Um, While we were in the hospital, his number one concern was how this experience was going to glorify God. 
um, in my mind, I constantly prayed. I had so many community of believers praying for us, and I fully expected him to receive a heart, and we were gonna have this amazing testimony, and God's name was gonna be glorified. Um, on December 25th, 2012, he passed away, and watching him draw his last breath was absolute agony. Walking out of that hospital Christmas morning, going from wife to widow at 27 years old, I just started asking God, how is this happening? How could this happen? How could you let this happen? And from that moment, he started to answer those questions. Um, in the next coming days, having just an outpouring of Chris's life and Chris's death from our friends, from our family, for people who I didn't even know was so beautiful. Going to God with all the hurt, all of the anger, and just so many questions and the way he responded just showered me with love and with grace. Over the past four years, I have experienced a closeness with Christ that I never thought was possible or even fathomed through the people he placed in my life and their response to me and what I've been through through answering all my why questions or all my how questions through scripture and sermons and just the love and peace he has given me and he has let me experience. I would have never chosen this path and never even considered it, but experiencing it and doing it with God makes it bearable. I now long for the day I get to spend eternity with Him and I have a completely different perspective and view. And that is just my journey, my walk, my story. Um, I just want to thank you all for being my community um, listening and just sharing my story and my walk with God. Thanks y'all. That's powerful, isn't it? I mean, well, let's hear it for Laura just to share her story and brave. Just really appreciate you, Laura. How is that possible? For those of you who know Laura, you, you might not even know that's a part of her story. I mean, she's just such a, a just a, you know, full of peace, loving, joyful person. I mean, you have no idea that there's that kind of troubling times that she's had to walk through. And you think, man, how is it possible 
for her to have to be, you know, who she is today in the midst of that. Like, I mean, how is it possible for you? How is it possible for me to face troubling times and still be able to say, hey, all is well with my soul? To have this inner sense of well-being. Well, that question is what the book of Habakkuk answers. Because if you remember, in chapter 1 of the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk, all is well, not, nothing is well with his soul, I should say. But he is upset. And he is a prophet, and his job is to work at the temple at Jerusalem and to call people to worship God. And yet everywhere he looks, he just sees injustice and immorality and idolatry. And he gets to a point where he's just saying, God, like, what are you doing? Like, how are you just, like, doing nothing, just sitting idly by and letting all of this injustice happen around me? And God answers him, if you remember, in chapter 1. And God says, hey, Habakkuk, you don't think I'm doing anything, but I really am doing something. But when I tell you what I'm going to do, you're not going to like it. And then he tells him, I'm raising up a whole other nation to come and invade Jerusalem and conquer you guys and just wipe you out as judgment, as just judgment for your injustice and idolatry. But, man, Habakkuk hears that, and unsurprisingly, he's very upset about that. He says, God, you're going to use the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, to invade us? They're even more unrighteous than we are. They're even more violent than we are. How can you use a more unjust nation to be the tool for your justice? That just doesn't make sense. And, again, the whole second half of chapter 1 of Habakkuk, he's just railing against God, just voicing his complaints after complaints. To God, he is anything but content. He's angry, and the reason he's angry is because God is not getting on his page, on Habakkuk's page. He's, God is not doing what Habakkuk thinks God should do. And guys, I, we can relate to that. I know all of us at some point in time, and many of us right now can relate to that. In your life, you facing troubling times, life's deep disappointments, and you are upset and God is not getting on your page. He's not intervening. He's not doing what you want him to do to change your circumstances. And if you are like me, then what you tend to do in those times, after praying and pleading with God and change your circumstances, nothing happens. Then what you end up opting for is just trying to find a way to cope. Right? Like, I just want to, like, okay, if things aren't going to change, i got to just figure out how to cope in, this, in, this, in the new normal. And oftentimes we, we turn to, you know, drink, alcohol, to, to food. Food's a big one. We turn to video games. We kind of check out of reality. Uh, we, we turn to drugs, prescription or, or illegal. Uh, you know, just anything that can distract us to just help us kind of cope in the, in the life, you know, in the, in the, with the hand that we've been dealt. But guys, what we see in the book of Habakkuk is that God... He doesn't want us to just set our eyes on successfully learning to cope. What he is inviting Habakkuk and he's inviting all of us to do is to realize that what God's into is he's into changing us. And we're okay with just saying, let's cope. But God's saying, no, no, I want to invite you into something much better. I want to change you through this. Now, if you remember back in uh, the fall, we studied the book of 1 Thessalonians. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 puts things really clearly when he says, this is God's will, your sanctification. 
And what God wants in your life is to change you to where you make you more like him in character. That he's about changing you and helping free you from the power of sin to make you more like Christ so that we can reflect him better. Like we talked about last week, right? That this is God's design for our lives. And so this is what he's up to in, in us. He wants to change us, and oftentimes he uses these very, the very disappointments, the very issue that causes our discontent to be the catalyst to bring about great change in our lives that would enable us to be a part of what he's doing in the world and to help us find deep contentment in him. But Habakkuk had not figured that out yet at the end of chapter 1. And so the beginning of chapter 2, you find him up in the watchtower with his arms crossed, and he's mad, and he's angry, and he's waiting for God to respond to his second critique, his second complaint. And God does, early in chapter 2, respond to Habakkuk. You may remember. Basically, what God says to Habakkuk in chapter 2 is this. He says, uh, Habakkuk, you need to wait for the rest of the story. And God tells him that there's going to be a day in the future when the Babylonians will also be judged. That God is going to deal with the Babylonians justly as well. But, he does, but God doesn't just stop there. He also tells Habakkuk that you need to get a bigger picture of what I'm really doing in the world. And so in Habakkuk 2.14, God states really powerfully and succinctly, here's what I'm doing in the world. It says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And he's telling Habakkuk, clue in. So you want me to get on your page, Habakkuk, and to fix your little story. But what I'm inviting you to is get onto my page and see my big story, what I'm doing in the world. This is what I'm all about. I'm all about seeing the day when the whole earth is saturated with the knowledge of my glory. That's what I'm working towards. And I want you to clue into the rest of the story so that you can learn to rest in my story as you jump in with me and what I'm doing. For contentment, contentment is found when we connect with God's cause. And the reason the contentment is found there is because that's our way of, of having confidence in God's loving leadership of our lives. We're saying, okay, I'm, I'm with you, God. I'm trusting you. I'm going to do what I'm going to get on your page. And when we see that God, what, what God's doing in the world and we see the troubles that we're in, we can, we can see a purpose for them. And we can say, okay, I, God, I can see how you can be using this to bring you glory. Okay, now I can find some peace in that. So that's what God is inviting Habakkuk into in chapter 2. And basically, this is the deal. This whole book is, is saying you can choose contentment. You can choose it. You see, when contentment is based on circumstances, then it's out of your control and it's just conditional. But what Habakkuk learns here and what God's trying to teach us here is, is that would allow Habakkuk to be transformed from a, like a prophet of complaint to a, a prophet of contentment is this, that contentment is a choice. It's choosing to believe, to have faith in God and in his loving leadership, that through confidence in his care, and his control of your life, you can choose with confidence to get on his page. Because that's where contentment is found. And that is a choice. It's a choice. So here's a summary of where we've been, all right? Uh, that's, the, well, that's the summary of where we've been. And, and hopefully that's been helpful for you. It was for sure transformational 
for Habakkuk, all right? Because you see, and we'll see that in the passage today, for in chapter 3 is one of the most beautiful expressions of contentment found in all of Scripture. And so look, we're going to look there. If you want to grab your Bible and turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. Before you do that, I want to just draw your attention to a couple of things. First, first of all, if you look, if you've got your Bibles, I know not many of us actually carry a Bible like this, but if you were to uh, scroll down to the very end of chapter 3, um, or you can look up here at the slides, you'll see that the very last line of this, of the book of the, of this book is this. It says, to the choir master with stringed instruments. And what that tells us, guys, is that chapter 3 is actually a song. The whole, the whole chapter is a song, a song of, that's a, Habakkuk's response to what God had said to him in chapter 2. In fact, if you go all the way back up to the very first verse of chapter 3, he says this, it's a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to a word I'm going to completely butcher. Shiganoff. I'm sure that was right. Now, what's interesting about that word that I won't try to say again, that word is actually a, a specific Hebrew melody. It's like a tune. And so he says at the very beginning, like, this is, at the end, he says, this is, you know, this is for string instruments for the choir master. And he says at the beginning, hey, here, here's the tune I want this song to. So this, as we read through this, uh, why Habakkuk uses a lot of artistic language? Because it's a song, and those creative types like to use all that artistic language. And so it may be a little bit hard to follow, but that's, that's what's happening here. And before I get into it, let me just kind of capture what this song is all about. Basically, in this song... What Habakkuk is doing is that he's writing something that will help him and his people remember the God of their salvation so that they can rejoice in God even when they need saving. He's written a song to help them remember the God of their salvation so that they can be helped to rejoice in God or rest in God even when they need saving. And the way that he does that, as you'll see, is that he, in the first 15 verses, spends a lot of time recounting the Exodus story. And the reason he goes to the Exodus story is because for the Old Testament saint, the Exodus story was, was uh, basically like the gospel to them. It was the story of how God rescued the Israelites from Egypt when they were in bondage and slavery. And that it was through God's miraculous intervention that they were freed from slavery, not based on anything that they did, but only what God did for them. And that this Old Testament, the Exodus, was the thing that they pointed to to speak of God's great saving work for Israel. It's the proof, the ultimate proof for them of God's love for them, his care for them. So here, Habakkuk in this song goes back to the Exodus to help his people and help himself remember God's saving work. So the, the God of their salvation. So let me just jump in this and we'll uh, stop. I'll pause this a couple of times along the way, but it will start at verse 2. It says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you. In your work, O Lord, do I fear. Now, real quick, the report is what God had said to Habakkuk in chapters 1 and chapter 2 about the Chaldeans coming in, the Babylonians coming in, and, and that they wouldn't be eventually judged justly. But all of that, he says, man, I've heard this report, and Lord, do I fear. Uh, and the, he says, in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Like in the God, in his time of judgment, when you just remember mercy. And then he moves into the story of the Exodus. Starting in verse 3, he says, 
God came from Taman, from the Holy One, from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. Now let me pause here. Okay, what's he talking about? Again, artistic language. But he, he's starting off here with the, with the Israelites in uh, captivity in Egypt. And he says, a God appeared from what is the east, from, from Timon and from Mount Paran, where the Sinai Peninsula was, to come and free the Israelites from Egypt and take them into that area, which they spent wandering in the wilderness for a little while. But uh, that's where God's appearing and rescuing them out. And then he says, this is how God did it. He did it through these plagues and through this pestilence. If you remember the ten plagues that God used to judge Egypt and free Israel. That's what he's recounting here, okay? So again, this is what he has in view is the Exodus, the God of their salvation, how God saved them. Now starting in verse uh, 6, he goes, He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? Now, uh, point out, so he speaks of salvation here. Just so it's clear, he's not talking about salvation from your sins so you go to heaven when you die. That's not, that's not the context of salvation here. What is a salvation? It's the salvation of Israel from Egypt. That's what he's speaking of. And he'll mention the word salvation four times in this chapter. You'll hear it if you're paying attention to it. This is what he, again, he, this is what he has in view here. And he speaks also of God's uh, incredible character. He talks about God's everlasting ways. He's just trying to call attention in this song to who God is and what God has done for them in the past. You got that? And he speaks of these rivers. You think, what's up with the rivers? Like, why is God mad at the rivers? If you were paying attention there. The reason he's speaking of the rivers is that's God. That, I mean, that's Habakkuk alluding to how God split the Red Sea. So that Israel could walk, get, you know, that's ultimate freedom out of Egypt. And then again, split the Jordan to bring them into the promised land. So that's his reference to the rivers. In fact, the rest of this chapter is, is him speaking about how, what God did to bring them into the promised land. And so he says in verse 9, You strip the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hand on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying, bare, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. Okay, again, these verses 9 through 15 are speaking of how God as their warrior and savior went in before Israel to get them into the promised land, to drive out the other nations so that God would give them the land that he promised them. All of this is this is recounting of God's salvation. And just so you just make sure you're tracking with me. Again, the reason the 
Habakkuk would recount all of this, why he'd put it in song form, that they would sing it over and over again, is to help them remember the God of their salvation, to remember what was for the Old Testament saint the ultimate proof of God's love for them, what the cross is for us, the crossing of the Red Sea was for Israel, and that it was the definitive proof that God loved them and cared for them. It wasn't their means for eternal salvation, but it wasn't the means for their proof that God loved them and cared for them. Okay, you got to follow that? And so that's what he's going back to. And he's saying, man, we need to remember this. We need to remember this. And guys, the reason that he does this and the reason why we need to learn from this is because by remembering God's faithfulness in the past, you find faith in the present. That by remembering God's faithfulness in the past, you find faith in the present. But to do that, you have to do something very simple, but it's, it's, it's worth harping on this morning. And that is you have to remember. You have to remember. You have to uh, connect what your head knows to your soul. That's remembering. If you think about remember, it's actually kind of a, a grisly metaphor, isn't it? Like what's your member? Like your arm, your leg, your finger? Your, your arm, leg, or finger gets chopped off. What do you got to do? You got to reconnect it, right? I don't know if you can like sew your leg back on, but you should try if it's cut off. Like you got to re remembering is crucial because it takes what we know about who God is and reconnects it to your soul. It's taking what we know about who God is and reconnecting it to our soul. And guys, the, the importance of remembering is found throughout Scripture. I don't have time to go to all these verses, but let me just cite one. I always think about Psalm 103. You know, we sing that song all the time. Bless the Lord, O my soul. If you know that psalm, it's bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who's he talking to there? It's not a prayer. He's not talking to God. It's not a sermon. He has no audience. He's literally talking to his soul. He's calling his soul to believe. Take what I know in my head and connect it to my heart that I would know that I would remember, I would reconnect it, who God is, I would not forget any of his benefits. For if you remember the God of your salvation, you remember his faithfulness in the past, then you will find faith in the present. That's what he's doing in this song. And as, just as a side note, let me just say, this is one of the most important things that we can do for one another as a church. That we need each other to regularly help call each other to remember who God is and what God has done. Now, I can't tell you how many times I have been helped when I'm sitting across the table, whether it's for Krista or Jason or Justin or a number of other friends in here, Alex and Keith, the guys in my huddle, I'm sitting there and I'm talking about something that I'm fearful of, I'm afraid of. And a friend says to me, hey, I get that and that is hard Jake, you need to remember, you need to remember who God is and what he's done for you. You need to remember his faithfulness to you. 
And they starting with the gospel and then going into my life, story after story after story of God's faithfulness, so that at the end of this, my faith in God is so much stronger. That is so helpful to me. And guys, we all need that. We need to be doing that for one another. It's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about this 21-day fast, these 21 devotionals that we have in this booklet that I really want you to pick up at the, at the connections table, like 21 devotions written by 21 different people in our church family, all of them to help us remember and reconnect to who God is and what he's done and what he's doing in the world that we would get, you know, connect to his cause. It's going to be so helpful for us during this time. I just can't wait to see what God does through that because that is one of the things we need to be doing for one another, because when we remember, we can experience contentment. And the reason we can experience contentment with confidence and his remembering who God is and what God has done that gives us confidence and his loving leadership of our lives. So even when our circumstances are going bad, we can find peace, this sense that all is well in my soul because we trust him and what he's doing. See, remembering helps us find contentment. And so that's what Habakkuk has done in this chapter up to this point. And then he turns and he says, okay, now that I remember the God of my salvation, I can rejoice in God even when I need saving. And that's where he goes in verse 16. And I, man, I just love his honesty here. He says, let me take a drink of water real quick. Okay. Sorry. I've had a cold all week. I'm I'll try not to cough in this mic. Okay, verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. And then hear this. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Now, don't miss what he's saying here. I love this. He's saying, okay, I'm scared. I'm not going to hide that. I'm scared to death. My body... It's trembling. Literally in the Hebrew, the word is not body. It's my bowels. Don't think about that too long. My, my, my bowels are trembling. He says, <laughs> my lips quiver, my legs tremble beneath me. He says, when I think about what is about to happen, when I think about this pending invasion of the Babylonians, man, I'm scared. But then he follows that with this amazing line. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us which is a reference to chapter 2, to what God has said, the rest of the story, that he's believing that what God has said to him in chapter 2 will happen. So he's saying, okay, uh, even though these circumstances are about to happen, and man, I just really wish they'd go away. And like, by the way, guys, there is nothing wrong with wanting your circumstances to change. All right? There, you, it's not like you're a holy person. If you're like, I don't, you know, I, I'll, I'll just take, I'm not, not going to ever complain or I'm not ever going to pray that my circumstances change. That's not true. You, you can pray that God changes your circumstances. That's, that is fine to do. Just don't put all your hope in your circumstances changing. Okay? That's where we get off course. But you can pray that God changes your circumstances. And guys, oftentimes, sometimes, God does change our circumstances, doesn't he? And all of us have been in that place before where there are circumstances change. And it's like, yeah, well, thanks, God. But sometimes our circumstances don't change. And for Habakkuk here, but they're not changing. I'm scared. I wish my circumstances would change. But they're not changing. 
But he says, even though my circumstances haven't changed, I find that God is changing me through my circumstances. And now I'm a whole different person. That's why I can say, hey, you know, I'm scared. I'm going to wait quietly. In fact, in the Hebrew, that phrase, I will wait quietly, I will quietly wait, is, is pretty startling. Because the literal translation of the, of the phrase, quietly wait, is actually rest. And so if you read it in the Hebrew, it says, my legs tremble beneath me and yet I will rest. And we have trouble with that, don't we? Because that doesn't seem like that goes together. Because we think we can either be at rest or you can be in deep sorrow, but you can't possibly be at rest in your deep sorrow. But we see here with Habakkuk, you really can. For contentment, this inner well-being of your soul, can happen concurrently with your sorrow. It happens in the sorrow. That's why I I titled this this message, uh, uh, Sing in the Sorrow to sing in your sorrow. You see, you have to, this inner sense of well-being because you trust in God's loving leadership of your life. And that does not mean you're, of, you're oblivious to your circumstances. You still feel, you still weep, you, st- you still cry, you, your legs still tremble when trouble comes. But at the same time, you also experience peace Because your confidence is not in your circumstances, but in your God, as you trust his loving care for you, which you base off his past salvation, the proof of his love and care. And that's what enables you to rest in the sorrow. It's remembering the God of of your salvation. You're able to rest in God even when you need saving. Which is why Habakkuk is able to end the book the way that he does. With three of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. He says this in verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes me f- my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Uh, through, is that not beautiful? You know, he, he walks uh, through, he, what he walks through here basically is uh, uh, the destruction of every food source and basically every uh, um, financial or economic source in, in, the, uh, in the far Near East, right? And so the, the, um, it's all agriculture is destroyed. It's, it's all livestock is gone. And it's total destruction. It's a picture of what life will be like after the invasion of the Babylonians. Everything is just laid bare. And yet... He says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. My goodness, friends. This is not resignation. This is not, well, this is just fate, and what will be will be, and so I just have to be okay with it. Like, that, you see, that? that's not what he's doing here. That this is him saying, all right, I trust in God. 
I trust in God. And even though everything goes terribly, I know the God of my salvation. I know that he loves me. I know his character. And so even when everything else is going terrible, I'm going to be at peace. All is well with my soul because I can trust his loving leadership of my life. That's what causes him to go on to say, God, the Lord is my strength. Like my strength comes from knowing you. It's It's being with you, God. He then says, God makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. I would suggest to you that what he's saying here figuratively is that God uses the troubling circumstances in our lives to take us to the heights of our character and our intimacy with him. He says he makes me tread on not the high places, but on my high places. That he takes me through these, uses these circumstances to do a work in me, to change me, to make me become a more beautiful, a more godly person than I was before. He changes my character. He increases my dependency, my intimacy with him. See, Habakkuk is able to say that even though I'm scared, even though things are going to be really bad, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to peacefully look forward to what God is going to do in the rest of the story. You know, that's the idea. Like, I'm just, I'll wait, we'll wait quietly for God to unveil the rest of the story, what he says in verse 16. And so he says, okay, as I do that, here's my trust. Here's my, here, here's my, here's my choice. I choose to get on your page, God. I choose, instead of trying to get you to cooperate and make my life easier and fix all the things in my life and be so focused on my world and my short little time here on earth, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to connect to what you're doing in the world, God. And I'm going to say, okay, I want to be about what you're doing, to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. I want your eternal picture. I want that eternal perspective. I want to be a part of that. And so if there's some kind of disappointment in my life that you can use to advance your knowledge of your glory in the world, then I'm going to be okay with that because I'm going to trust in your loving leadership. And the reason that I can trust in your loving leadership is because of what you've done in the past as I remember your past salvation, the proof of your love for me. That gives me the confidence that I need. Trust your loving leadership and so I'm going to get on your page. And guys, that's how the book ends. Habakkuk is now on the page with God, on God's page, and he's content because he's got confidence in God's loving leadership. Before I wrap up, let me just ask you guys, is that where you are? Would you say that you have found that, that internal sense of well-being despite your circumstances? Because you trust in God's loving leadership of your life. Is that where you are? I mean, can you imagine saying to God with the very area of your disappointment, the very area of your discontent, saying, God, I I wish this would change. Would you please change it? But if you don't change it, I'm okay because I trust you. I trust you. I know you got me. It's your loving leadership. Can you imagine being important to say that? How do you get there? 
Well, again, Habakkuk, the way that he got there was by remembering who God is and what God has done. And he did that by looking back to God's saving work in the Exodus. But friends, hear this. We have a leg up on Habakkuk because we have a much greater Exodus to look back to. Do you, know, do you know that Jesus and his ministry here on earth, he met Moses? Do you know that? Luke chapter 9, Jesus goes to the top of a mountain, and he is on the heights. And on those heights, with his disciples, he begins to shine. And similar to what, how God, Habakkuk describes God in Habakkuk 3.5, he says his brightness was like the light, but this time he did not veil his power, for this was his transfiguration. And Moses and Elijah appeared. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 31, it, it, the verse says something that no English translation quite knows what to do with. Do with. Because the, the, most translations say, hey, he spoke of his departure or he spoke of his going forth. But in the Greek, it literally says that he began to speak to them about his exodus. Jesus' exodus. And that, uh, can you imagine what that conversation was like between him and Moses? Hey, Moses, your, your exodus was great, but it was, it was just a foreshadowing of my better exodus that I'm about to accomplish. And what's he talking about? He's talking about the gospel. I mean, just think of this, friends. This is what we have to look back to to remember the God of our salvation. This is what we need to remember, to connect with what we know to our soul, that it would move us to where we can have confidence in God no matter what. Listen to what we can look back to. You see, Moses risked his life to liberate the children of Israel from social and political bondage, but Jesus would give his life to liberate us from what causes political and social bondage, the, the very evil and sin and death itself. You see, the first Moses risked his life, but Jesus, the better Moses, gave his life to liberate his people. But not only that, but the first Moses sacrificed a lamb and put his blood on the doorpost so that the children of Israel could be liberated and forgiven. But Jesus was the lamb that was sacrificed. It was his blood that he gave so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be liberated from sin and evil and death. And the first Moses led the people out of captivity, out of slavery. He brought them in the wilderness, and then they stood at the foot of Mount Sinai as he climbed Mount Sinai to intercede between God and the people. But Jesus climbed Calvary and died. And then he rose again on the third day, and then he ascends to heaven, where he is now forever eternally interceding for us between the Father and us. The Father would see us through his righteousness, that we know that we are always welcomed and accepted because of Christ. And friends, if you believe that, if you, and that your faith in Christ, then you can know that you're loved and that you're cared for. And you can trust God with control of your life. Which means you can be content. For as you remember the God of your salvation, you can rejoice in God even when you need saving. 
And even if he does not change your terrible, terrible circumstances, you can know that he is changing you so that you can be content even in your times of trouble. So as we wrap up, we're going to end like we do every message by taking communion because communion is our way to remember what Christ has done for us. That in this time, you can ask God to reconnect this, what you know in your head to your soul. See, a few hours before Jesus was betrayed and handed over to the, the authorities to be crucified, he gathered his closest friends together to celebrate Passover. Passover remembers how God saved the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. But on this night, Jesus spoke of a greater salvation that he was about to secure. A salvation from slavery of sin and death and evil. And so during that meal, he, the Lamb of God, took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. And then he held up the cup. He said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. He said, take and drink. Every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. He did this so he could save us. See, for the next day, he went to the cross, and his body really was broken for us, and his blood really was shed. So that through his sacrifice, we can be saved. your sins can be forgiven and you can be welcomed to the family of God. Your God has saved you. Everyone who's placed their faith in Christ is welcome to come up here or to the table in the back to take the elements that God would use this to reconnect, to cause you to remember what he's done so that no matter what you're going through or what you will go through, you can still be content. Let's pray. Do you have confidence in God's loving care for your life? Let's pray. Father God, you are amazing. Christ, what you've done for us is incredible. Thank you. May we remember it. May we first believe it. If there's anyone here who's yet to believe that that's what you've done, may they even use this time right now Lord, to talk to you about that. Or may, may you give them faith to believe today. For those of us who have believed that, may we remember the God of our salvation or that you would strengthen, that you would bolster our faith in you or that we would, would be able to have confidence in your loving care for our lives no matter what we're going through. And as a result, Lord, that we would have contentment. Lord, we love you. May you be honored in our time of worship now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.